Hi everybody, welcome to the Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry podcast with me, Philip Heidson, and as always, Dara McAnthony, chairman and co-owner of Peterborough United. How are you doing, Dara? Another, it's a good win for you finally on uh, on Saturday, and it looked like a very good win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously today the birds are singing. Life is good. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what it's like when your football team wins for everyone, right? Owners, fans, players, management, but. Uh, since we last recorded, it would be remiss not to go back and go through three results because you're just bragging about like a win. So, you know, let's start with, I guess, last week. It was well, Reading, wasn't it? We recorded after Sheffield United, so you had Reading then last Tuesday. Yes, correct. So we had Sheffield United, or so we had Reading on Tuesday. And truth be known, I'm watching that game and you're thinking, golden opportunity to win. Um, you know, they weren't really all that. But as is the way with us this season, we tend to set teams off. You know, like we got Preston up and running, you know, and they've been very good since they beat us. We got Sheffield United up and running and very good since they beat us. And then we play a red inside devoid of confidence. We're obviously devoid of confidence. You can tell we pretty much have control of the game. Uh, they haven't really got into our box. They haven't done anything. And then there's a free kick. And, uh, you know, the last two and a half years, I think we're the worst team in the football league for direct free kicks or indirect, whatever you call them, outside the box, uh, percentage-wise scoring from from kicks. And, that's frustrating. That's something that we haven't cleaned up and improved on. So I was very worried when they were stood over that because you're always, if you look at the data and the statistics, yeah, we're not good on those. And then obviously, as has been the way recently away, we concede within 50 seconds. And then you're thinking, Christ, we've gone under again. But to be fair, we scored. We got back in it. Uh, John, I missed a golden chance to put us 2-2. And then, you know, I'm even thinking with 15 minutes to go, if we get an equaliser here, we win this game. You know, suddenly, I actually thought when they scored, it wasn't a bad thing because... Although we were in control of the game, we weren't really attacking or creating chances. We were kind of like non-plus. Yeah, like waiting for something to happen. Yeah, yeah, correct. And, and you almost want your boys to, like against Derby early in the season, when we went behind, we finally started playing. So I was thinking, okay, Reading have scored. Now maybe we'll start playing. But of course, it was the quick one-two punch. So they scored a you know worldy in the final minute. Again, it's three shots on goal, three goals. And um, frustrating, very frustrating for all of us. But again... For me, you know, and I've been like this, and I, I talk about trusting the process and boring our fans with those words. I said to the manager on, you know, I spoke to him obviously on Tuesday night after Reading, and he was fired up. But I spoke to him on Wednesday and Thursday. And I guess my message was, you know, we're all forgetting our home form will make us a really good championship side. And that's what it's always been about. We're a really, really good home team. We have been for two and a half years. And I still believe that at home we're very good. You know, we beat Derby. We should have beaten Cardiff. We should have at least got a point against West Brom. You know, we're very good home team. So nobody's rolling into our place and doing what, you know, what's happened to us away. Um, so I said to the manager, we have to hold on to that. And I said, we have to find that identity. We have to find that home performance. We're going to have a big crowd against Birmingham. Forget about what's going on away from home. Fix that when you can fix that. But right now, just take belief in if we do what we do at home, we'll grow into this league. And I guess you, when you look back to the last couple of years, if you look at your Lutons and you look at your your teams that have done well in this league and Coventry, it's taken them time to adapt. It's taken them time to find a way to win away from home. Do you know what I mean? So, so again, everyone's panicking. Everyone's table watching. You know, the amount of people said, I, I haven't table watched since the league started. And I probably won't until February, March. You know, and, and, you know, how far are we away from the top? The, the mindset for me isn't about, oh, what's happening down there? And, oh, my God, what happened with Derby? And it's too early in the season. Like I said to you, we're going to do really well. I still have firm belief in that. Um, and then, obviously, on Thursday, it was all exasperated. We lost Jack Marion for pretty much 
potentially the whole season. You know, he's 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 gone down chasing a ball um, against Reading uh, late in the game, and unfortunately, he snapped the tendon, and he snapped it in half. And they're saying for four months, five months. When you think about it, you're early in October, you know, getting back up to speed, it's a bad one. And I'm 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 so devastated for him because we're just getting him back to fitness. He scores against Sheffield United, you know, partnership going with Jono. And and the poor kids had no luck the last like two seasons. You know, he, he did this against Sheffield for Sheffield Wednesday. You know, his body is has unfortunately let him down. So now it's the long road back for him. Um, and we'll get behind him and we'll do everything we can to get him fit again because he's, you know, he's 26, 27. I mean, Christ, his best year should be ahead of him. So um, that was unfortunate. And you know, the worst part is, you know, our other striker, Ricky, did his knee. He's out for November. Um, Jono could have a ban. That, that, that decision's coming from the FA this week. Um, you know, so anyone for a false nine because that day you know, at this stage. And, and, and I had to laugh because even our leading goal scorer in the under-18 team, he broke his arm. Last Saturday after scoring two goals. There's no one even in reserve to dig into. That, that area, you know, you're down to the 15s now, you know, and that's not legal. <laughs> it's like, you're going to be getting your centre-halves as your, your uh, big striker at this point. Yeah, yeah. And then Joel Randall, obviously, has torn his tie. And, you know, he's our big million-pound signing this summer. He was looking magnificent in the under-23 games. And, you know, we have a lot of belief that he's going to be a real strong addition to the 11 when he finds his feet and gets in. And he's out for 11 weeks. So it's just this non-stop and too many muscle injuries. So there's been a lot of talk and a lot of meetings about why our players' bodies are breaking down. You know, it's just interesting that they didn't break down in League One. Now you're in the championship, bodies are breaking down. And that shows you the gulf, the difference between what you might do in training and what you might have to do in match day and what you might have to work on on your body. This is what I've been saying throughout the podcast about those inches, about getting everything right off the field to be right on the field. And that's not a criticism of the staff. That's just, we've moved up a level. Is it more intensity? Is that what's doing it? Oh, like- oh, massively, massively. I mean, Phil, the physicality is a step up. I mean, I know League One and League Two can be physical, but the physicality is a step up. You've no idea. You know, uh, you make two mistakes in League Two, they don't score. You can make three, possibly. You can make three mistakes in League One, they don't score. You make two in, in the champ and it's two goals. It's the, the, the physicality. It's the mental side of the game. Everything is just a step up. You know, this really is like another Premier League. So, you, you know, you have to, you know, players, you've seen players in League One and League Two who don't look in great shape, but they look amazing on the ball. They can play well. They can run a game. They can they got the match. They got time. The other thing is time. In the champ, you have to be physically unbelievable. You have to be in the best shape of your life. I've always I said that since day one. To compete at this level and for a club our size, you have to be like Superman. You know, your conditioning, the gym work, the training. You know, what you might have done sessions-wise last year in League One, you cannot do in the Champs. So everything's different. So it's been a big experience and a big learning curve for everybody. And that's me, the manager, his staff, you know, and, and, and that's something come year two next summer. We'll address it and we'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to maybe change things up and what we do and definitely get away for a preseason that's hardcore. So you only have to look at what Bielsa did with Leeds a few years ago on the body fat. You know, you cannot be carrying players with 10, 11, 12% body fat. You know, they have to be 7 to 8% maximum. You know, that's where they need to be. They need to be able to run 11, 12K a game. Um, you know, they need to be able to withstand that Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. And unfortunately, when you're seeing hamstrings and you're seeing tie rips and you're seeing... You know, we've had I think, three hamstrings now where the, the, the hamstrings come off the bone. You know, you're seeing all those things. That's just okay. The intensity, bodies can't take it at the moment. So there are all the things we have to clean up. 
I've just approved more money to be spent at the training ground to have a built-in ice bath in the in the dressing room at the training ground, small things like that for recovery. Um again, and it hurts you as you're as you're learning, usually when you learn lessons, they can be harsh lessons, but they don't usually hurt and they're not painful. These ones for us have been painful, are being painful. But again, I'm that I'm of that mind. You never make the same mistake twice. And you learn from your mistakes. And, and we won't make that mistake twice. So we'll learn from it. So, you know, Thursday, Friday was about, okay, this has happened. You know, the manager, every time I speak to him, it's like, look, do you want the bad news first? And it's another player gone down or this, that, whatever. So all we were focused on was come Saturday, get your shape right. Get your strongest 11 on the field. Um, you're going to have a crowd. Our players have to be up for it. Trust the process, the way we want to play. You know, don't be frightened. Don't be fearful. And to be fair, from minute one, man for man, and I know the Birmingham managers said they were tired because they played a day later than us. And did it, did it, did it. Now we were superb, like we were against Cardiff, like we were in spells against Derby. We controlled the game. We played with a purpose. Our football was delicious. We missed four one-on-ones. No word of a lie. It could have been six, seven nil. Um, Ronnie Edwards sets that tempo. Having a centre-back who passes as good as any midfielder in the country helps the way you, if you want to play that way, if you're going to play between the lines and you're not always going long and you want to go counter-attacking and get in behind and go one, two, three, in. And the first goal and the second goal, or the third goal, were uh, symbolic of how we wanted to play. It was quick, sharp on the counter, stealing the ball from them in midfield, turning it over, countering them through Dembele, from Dembele to George Grant, bash. You know what I mean? So... That was how we wanted to play. We executed them magnificently. The, 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 the Birmingham fans were brilliant because there was like 4,000 of them and they were behind their team. But our fans really came to the party. And it helps when your team plays well. And, you know, I never felt in danger with a new goalie in between the sticks. Young Ronnie was making a second of appearance. I always said to the staff in the summer, eventually they'll put Ronnie in. You know, experienced manager staff take their time with young players. They're not as brave as you'd like them to be at times. That's not a criticism. I understand. They, they, they're very loyal to the people that got them up. But my word always was, it will take a few hammerings and a few defeats before you realize how important a young player like that is. Not because of his age or who he is, but because of how he plays. And I said, once he's in, he'll stay in. Because you'll understand how he'll set us up and how he'll get us going. So, again, him, Nathan Thompson, magnificent, who was racially abused and fortunate during the game. But Nathan was just, yeah, leader, you know, just fantastic. You know, what a man. And um, so it was one of them games where everyone was an eight, an eight plus. There was no sixes or sevens. Um, everyone was up for it. And again, it, the biggest thing for me was giving our fans the belief, giving the players the belief, shutting up the, the press from criticizing, from talking about tables, from talking about, oh, you've lost four in a row. Oh, the posh again and did it, did it, did it giving everyone that belief that actually we can play some good football. Actually, we can beat a good team. Actually, we're good at home again. Actually, you know, as tough as the league is, we belong at this level. So all those things were more, probably more important than the actual win. It all played in. So yeah, it was, it was good for everyone for the weekend. Really happy. Yeah. There's a couple of things I wanted to jump on that you said. First of all, was uh, you were talking about the championship and the big step up that it's been. It's almost like a second Premier League. Has the quality of the championship surprised you versus the last time that you were in the championship or maybe not surprised you is the wrong word but is, is there a big difference between the last time you were in the championship versus this time you're in the championship uh, yeah I, I i feel the physicality level's gone up i'm not sure the quality's gone up it was always a quality league um it's definitely more physical i don't remember us having to defend so many long throw-ins and so many set pieces um the speed of play has probably gone up a level 
Um, there's a lot of big clubs. There's probably a lot more bigger clubs in it now than we were there eight, nine years ago. There's a lot more clubs with parachute payments uh, in that league. Um, so there are loads of changes, but I would say the physicality more than anything else is what's not surprised me. It's exactly what I thought it would be. But maybe it surprised a lot of people who didn't believe me when I said back in May when we were having meetings, this is going to be like physically like something you've never seen before in your life. And we need to prepare for that. So, okay, fine. Now everyone realizes, you know, everyone realizes we're, we're going to have to work harder than ever before. And that's okay. You know, the one good thing I know about us as a club recently and, and the manager, his staff, and this group of players who I've been singing their praises for 20 months is they adapt, you know, really well. And they handle adversity really well. You know, they, they lost games last year. You know, they had some sticky moments. A non-league team embarrassed us on TV in the FA Cup. So, you know, the one thing is they're good guys. You know, they've got a bit about them. Um, and I knew, you know, I kind of felt that was coming on Saturday. But there was no coincidence that, you know, Jack Taylor starts his first game. And, you, you know, that played a big part as well. We've been playing all season without one of the best central midfielders outside the Prem, in my opinion, at 23. And he was phenomenal, just phenomenal. And that difference, having someone in there who can play that way, who can still do the hard work that way and has a vision. And every time he gets on it, wants to go that way. So all those things fell into place. Dembele was unplayable. It's embarrassing, really, how many clubs who should have bid for him and didn't. Yeah. He's put um, himself in the shop window with, uh, on Saturday. You know what? Uh, these scouts need to be fired. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, they're throwing offers at me at like three million. I mean, this player, is only, uh, he's unplayable. Um, you know, the scouts that are talking to Barry, you know what I mean, that were in the stands, just like yeah, the Birmingham owners were, you know, were talking to Baz and the directors and just saying, my goodness, do you know what I mean? Like, and Barry was like, listen, you can't afford him. <laughs> you know, if you come in in January. So so he, he was himself and, and he can be. And to be fair to the boy, since the windows closed in those three games, he's been our best player. And, you know, credit to him. He's been really professional. He's really worked hard. He's really put his head down. And uh, we're all very relaxed about it. You know, if I have to sell him in January, so be it. If not, he'll stay in the summer and he'll ride off into the sunset. No, I have no, no issue with that at all. But something tells me to be a, a blockbuster if he keeps playing like that. You know, I'll make people puke that I'll still get mega dough from in January with five months left. Um, so, but I'm not concerned about that. Um, I'm more worried about just keep doing what we're doing. You know, keep doing well at home, and then find a way to do it away from home and and get it all and, and get people back because we need you know we, we we need help. You know, we need you know Saturday was great because our 16s hammered someone in the cup six nil. Our 18s won five one. You know, our first team won, our 21s are playing tomorrow, our 23s are playing tomorrow. You know, the younger players, I mean, I think we battered Sheffield United, you know, on Saturday. Ronnie's brother, who's only 16, played in one of the games. So we have another Edwards in there. So um, from that perspective, the club, we've got some terrific talent. We've got some terrific coaches coaching at that level. Um, and if the first team gets lift off, we have a right chance to do really well at this level and build from that as a club. So it's exciting, but it's, it's one win. You know, again, it's, it's a relentless league. You know, we play Coventry on Friday. Coventry are a brilliant football team. You know, we've done all right against the physical teams. You know, we've done well. The football teams we've come on stuck against, uh, and and we need to reverse that. So Coventry will be a tough one Friday night away at, at the Rico, and then a couple of home games afterwards. You know, a couple of easy ones: Bournemouth and uh, <laughs> else. It's, it's non-stop, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. But but that's brilliant, you know, because that's that's what you want. That's why you wanted to get to this level. So um, yeah, really, really pleased and. Uh, on we go. Now you mentioned um, about having to bring a new keeper in on Saturday, and there were rumours of a bust up with Christie, your keeper, and Darren Ferguson. 
uh, after the Reading game. I just wonder if you're able to talk a little bit about what went on or what's gone on since then. Yeah, look, my manager, you know, pretty much handled it really well because obviously someone's leaked it. And there was some ex-groundsman who's on like Twitter talking about it and stuff. He's he's a fucking dick. Um, so, uh, you know, Darren spoke about it. There was a fallout in the dressing room. Things happened that shouldn't have happened. Um, I don't want headlines made from the podcast about it because I want us to move on now. I have to back my manager. I have to agree with my manager. Uh, and I do. And he's moved on to Cornell and Cornell did brilliant. And I hope Di stays in and does brilliant and dominates in there. And um, at the moment, young Will Blackmore is backing him up. So, because we have to address that in January, if not, you know what I mean? Obviously, we've got to find Chrissy a, a new club and, and we have to bring in a replacement. So, um, and, and if Dyes are number one, so be it, you know, getting the Wales squad, he's doing really, I'm really happy for him. Did a great interview after the game. He's a great lad. Um, I think he can get better. I don't think he's ever had a fair shake wherever he's been. And it was time. And, and to be fair, forget about the bust up in the dressing room, if that's what you want to call it. You know, we're leaking a lot of goals for very few shots. It wasn't like people were having 20 shots against us a game. You know, we were leaking, uh, I want to say, like 70% of the shots on target were gone and goal. So at some stage, you have to look at it and go, okay, yes, there can be some worldies. Yes, you know, you can have a bad day, but occasionally you want your goalie to have a man of the match performance or a worldly performance. You know what I mean? So it was time to bring in, you know, die. And um, yeah, and it all worked out. So, you know, Christy's been brilliant for us. If that's the last he's played for us, and, you know, football's football, anything can change. Um, you know, we'll get him a, a good move and wish him the best. And, uh, you know, he's, he's been a good servant to the football club. So, but these things happen in football. That's just the way it goes. You know, when you have uh, bust-ups in dressing rooms or between squads, because you've got, you know, the, the combustible situations with a lot of folks who are very passionate about the club. Like, I loved you... it. I loved the ruck. I loved yeah. it. I, lo- I love a good ruck. I said to the, when, when a gaffer told me after the game, I said, brilliant. He was, a, you know, he was explaining to me. I said, listen, nothing like a good ruck to get your season up and going. Sometimes a dressing room can be flat. Sometimes a dressing room, there isn't enough said. Sometimes it's all the uns- unspoken words that create an atmosphere. So sometimes you need to have it out. I like a good rook. And, and then you move on. As long as you don't take it too far, so you don't, as long as you don't overstep the mark. And that can get you up and going. And as it turns out, we got our best performance of the season three days later. So maybe that's what we needed. <laughs> um, and the other thing you said about uh, Nathan Thompson getting racially abused um, there, I mean, is... Is this just is it a, a new and growing curse of, of football, or is it that no. we're finally speaking out more about this now? No, it's it's been there. Unfortunately, I, I, this isn't new. I just think now players are more responsive in the way that they go to the ref, they go yeah. to the police. Like this isn't acceptable, and I shouldn't have to take this. Years gone by, some of the poor players in the past have just like put up with a banana skins being thrown at them, and there's some of the horrific stuff that we've allowed as an industry to go on for too long. So I think now the players feel that freedom and support to just say, no, hang on a second, you fucking scumbag. Go get the ref, go get the police. And the two people, I believe, they were arrested and thrown out of game. Now, Birmingham fans are magnificent. That's not a slight in Birmingham. Because I dare say over X amount of games, that could happen with some of our fans away from home. And I hope it doesn't. But this is, this is the world we live in. We want to get to the point where it's just enough already. Like, stop. Like, well, why are you going to a game? You know, I've sat there enough times to watch my own team get hammered or beaten. It doesn't mean I have to abuse opposition players who were playing better than us. It would never come into my mind. And if that was someone related to me, I'd, I'd, I'd break their legs. Do you know what I mean? Like that kind of nonsense. So I feel for Nathan, um, but he handled it like the pro he is. Um, he, he will have a great career in football when he's finished playing. And um, he was, he, you know, 
again, he was probably man of the match, to be fair to him. You know, I'm talking about Ronnie and I'm talking about Dems and everything else, but Nathan was just superb. But that's the type of character he is. He's a strong man. So we um, we drew again. You are a jinx, Philip. I know. That's what I've been told. You've gone to England for two weeks <laughs> and you've not watched Bradford win. I mean, this this isn't good. If I were Ryan, I'd be banning you from the Valley Parade. You'd never well, go he, back. He's already messaging me <laughs> to tell me that I'm his bad luck charm. <laughs> oh, um, dearie me. Yeah, it's uh, just another one where um, it was very frustrating. I, t- I, like- I took a look at all your data, um, the, you know, and, and I'm not calling anyone out here, and it's not my job to criticize other owners or whatever else. But And people could say the same about us not signing a player on deadline day and how it could cost you. But sometimes you take that risk and you don't push the boat out and you don't get like, you, you know, you're number one for crosses, shots. You're missing a goal scorer. And, you know, hopefully that won't cost you in the long run. That you know, you can get players back fit, you can get a few wins together, you can get to January. I'm sure if your owner's watching, he realizes that maybe he dropped the clanger, not paying a bit of money to go and get a striker. Because say you spent 250 grand on a striker, 300 grand over three years, four years, an extra thousand people on the gate would have paid for that. And if you're in the top two, you get any extra thousand on the gate. So, so it's 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 easy to pick holes out. People will say the same to me now that Marriott's gone, Jono could be banned. And we, I didn't go get a striker. We've got Ricky J. Jones. You got them. You know, it's it's it, it, it's really easy to pick holes from the outside, and you don't want it to cost you. But the one good thing about your club is, is you seem to be doing the right things in match. It's just you, when you got data like that, usually it's on a trajectory where it, the results catch up to the data. Yeah, we were talking a little bit off mic. You know, it's if it was uh, if there was no shots and we weren't creating or anything like that, then it would be a different story. So yeah, it's really frustrating to watch because yeah. we got the, the stats, like you say, most shots, most crosses, you know, entries into the final third. It's all there. It's just not, there's not somebody to finish it. And yeah. and that's something that Derek came out um, and said in the press this morning was we're missing that kind of striker who can create something out of nothing, who can take one of those balls that bounces, you know, because it's in there and actually get on the end of it. And so we were trying too much to be deliberate and that's really easily telegraphed, you know, and defended against because you don't really have a plan B. And so, I mean, that's what it feels like at the moment. It's frustrating. It's really, really frustrating. So, um, but hopefully the, the, the tide will turn. And are, are, are the fans staying with the manager? There isn't a lot of discontent. Or- yeah, there was the first dissent. There was booing on Saturday and, um, you know, there's been so much put into Derek's the man this is the year you know things are different this time um that uh, we've got some short patience is short because we know we shouldn't be in this well I I always say this we shouldn't be in this division and I always say we're where we deserve to be it's too early for that though it's too early I mean you know they're passionate a lot the Bradford fans but it's too early the supporters groups have got to be like nipping that in the bud and calming them down because it's way too early I dare say you know uh, you look at some of the promotions over the years and whatever else. I mean, I've always said this, you don't win promotion in September. You, you just don't. And and you only have to look at Bolton last year to see how true that word is. Yeah. Yeah. When I think about our promotions, since I've been supporting us, it's been, yeah. you know, squeaking seventh on the last day of the season, having won seven of the last eight at the end of the season. There you or, go. You know, being, being bottom three after six or seven games and then it clicking and, uh, you know, like what you said with Ronnie, you know, bringing in a player who you wanted to play, but you couldn't find a space for, then the, then the decision is forced on you. And all of a sudden that player is in the team and it just clicks because, um, and then that's how you kind of go on your run. So 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not losing hope or anything like that, but it's just frustrating on the day. Who have you got? Who have you got this week? Who do we have this week? Uh, we've got Crawley away on Saturday. Ooh, they're in good form, aren't they, Crawley? So, and they're always tough. It's a it's a bad place for us to go. Never had success down there. But we'll see. Did, you, did your family enjoy going there to the games? Yeah, they had a great time. You know, I said last week the kids were going to be mascots. So um, the club really took care of them, you know, um, did a really good job and um they had a whale of a time even though they didn't get the result so. <laughs> so you're back home in america now we came back last night so um i'm sure i'll be crashing in the middle of today with my jet lag, of course, the old but, jet lag yeah. um you know it's it's good to be back you know it's it's good to have start having routine that's the only thing when you travel is it's hard to get into a routine um but we had a really really good time and it was nice to go and see some football even if we didn't see the wins <laughs> don't worry they'll follow yeah that'll be fine <laughs> so anything else let's have a look at what else happened this week so in the premier league we had um liverpool 3-0 against palace yeah it was a good game um thought palace were very good really in the game i thought the liverpool were at their best uh one nil um edward should have scored probably one if not two goals i like him viera's got to be starting him soon he's got a striker in the team that hasn't scored for 35 games so Sometimes that's where you want managers to be a bit braver. You know, he scored twice last week. You know, what are you waiting for? Liverpool, fair play to James Milner, 36-37. He was against Zaha and uh, did brilliant. I mean, the thing about Liverpool is that, you know, you're always worried about those injuries. You're worried about losing players. But listen, fair play to them. They're matching Chelsea stride for stride, result for result. Chelsea obviously did their business against Spurs yesterday. They're looking ruthless. Um, You know, defensively, probably the best defence in the league. Um, so, the, you know, I watched the United game. What did you make of that then? So, no, he came on, didn't he, for the penalty? I didn't see the ridiculous, game Ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous. I said that my missus was here, like, I mean, we the TV was on in the background. So, I had to bring it someone on for the penalty. I'm like, I don't like it. He hasn't warmed up. He's already touched the ball. Um, the pressure, he's coming on. It's his only kick of the game. Uh, and it was a dreadful penalty. And I just thought, yeah, terrible. Yeah, not good for me. But listen, it is what it is. That's football. You live and die by the decisions you make. De Gea is usually a terrible penalty saver. And, uh, you know, you made him look like Gordon Banks. So, uh, <laughs> good for him. Um, what else was happening in the Premier League this weekend? Aston Villa looked very good. Yeah. I watched them against Everton. You know, they, I, I really like Aston Villa. I think they, you know, I'd watched them against Chelsea the week before and they actually were better than Chelsea but lost the game. Um, when you talk about that ruthlessness, you know what I mean, in, in the big teams you play... Man City, obviously nil nil against Southampton. That was a surprise. You see the penalty that the um, the penalty that was that wasn't. Yeah, what did you think? Um, I can see why you would give it, and then I was surprised that he would go to VAR, and then I didn't think it was obviously an obviously wrong decision. If that makes sense. Sure, I'd agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what else is in there? Any other surprises in the top league? Norwich lost again. It's not. It's looking pretty grim already, isn't it? Yes and no. I mean. <sighs> They've played a lot of good teams so far, but the Watford, the Watford beat them, didn't they? Yes, they beat them 3-1. Yeah, if you're not beating your fellow promotion teams that have come up with you, then yes, it, it could be an issue. Um, I don't know who they have next, but they, whoever they have next, I don't care if it's Man City, they have to win the game. Because obviously then it's just people already saying they're down. Um, I watched Brentford obviously beat Wolves. I watched Ivan Tony absolutely decimate Wolves. You know, two goals disallowed, scored one, made one. Top, top class. Being in the UK, I got to watch Match of the Day for the first time in a long time, and it was uh, the Ivan Tony show. Did they did they speak well of him? 
yeah, they covered him quite a lot. And it was almost like, who is this guy? And, you know, they've woken up to him. Different class. They were talking about England and um, people are taking notice. He, it's not just his goals. It's if you watch the game, the way he plays, holds the ball up, wins the ball. He's your, he's your complete, you know, big striker. And uh, he is a 50, 60 million pound sound next summer, in my opinion. Like, I'm not saying he could be as good as Lukaku, mm-hmm. Lukaku's a beast, but give him time in the Premier League and I'm telling you now, he's going to be special. So, um, again, shame on all those big clubs. Missed a golden opportunity, sign that kind of talent. But, uh, yeah, Ivan, he was brilliant. And, uh, you know, more money for us with a goal he scored, lovely jubbly. Um, <laughs> Brentford obviously surprising everyone. Didn't surprise me. Um, I watched. I watched. I watched Leeds. Obviously, Newcastle. That was a decent game. And then let's go through the leagues. Championship wise, Bournemouth obviously getting in their stride. Fulham have suddenly creaked a little bit. Two losses in three. Um, you, you, you know, they seem to be. They're either going to smash teams out of the way, or they're going to lose a game. Um, so that that surprised me. Uh, Scott Parker at Bournemouth. What he's done there, magnificent. Um, Sheffield United are awake. I told you that we we we've awakened the beast, so they they will definitely. I mean, Billy Sharp, wow, wow, wow. I mean, what a credit to his profession at his age. Oh, it's amazing he's still doing things. That, I mean, I don't know how old he is now. I just know he's been around forever. You know, when I saw him running past some of our young defenders, do you know what I mean, like they weren't there. That was like a real kick in the gut. You know, last week Sheffield United, and um, you know, fair play to him because I think he likes a pie, he likes a beer, you know, whatever else. But quality. It's tough to age quality, as Ronaldo shows you. And it doesn't matter how old Billy is. Do you know what I mean? He can definitely still, as you see, do it at this level. And it must drive the owner mad because he's got like a 15 and a 20 million pound striker on the bench. And this 36-year-old dude is still doing what he's doing. He's been written off, you know, five times as well. Yeah, Yeah. from an acid point of view, it's like, geez, I'm pulling my hair out here. You know, I'm like, yes, we're winning, but I'm never going to get my money back in these strikers. Well, I got this old and now you've got like, all these uh, depreciating assets on the bench. C- correct. So it's kind of one of them, but I, you know, I still, I actually fancy them to win the league. I just, you know, I, I, I do. I, I, I rate their manager. I rate their squad. You know, confidence was low. Posh have really helped them. They're really going to have to pay us back late in the season. You know, if they're already up and whatever else, they've got to give us kind of a buy, haven't they? You know, so, uh, and their fans have definitely got to come to our place in force and fill up my coffers as we've got them going, rocking and rolling. So championship, I want to just ask you about um, the Luton game, Luton-Swansea. I don't know if you saw the, uh, I don't know what to call it, in a, a public Mops. forum, but it was uh, crazy, the uh, the kick. Was it Lansbury? I, I saw that, but people didn't see. There was a football there. He was going yes, to take a quick free right. kick, wasn't he? So I don't know, because I only saw the uh, the zoomed in, so I didn't see like the before or the after. It looks really bad. But but if you win a free kick and you want to attack quickly, that's your prerogative as a team. The player stood in the way should be booked. So, you know, and I, that really pisses me off. I hate when players, when there's a free kick given, they want to grab the ball and they want to stop you playing. I, I just wish... And it never happens. It never a, gets booked either, does it? Or standing in front of the ball. I, I just wish there was a rule. A rule brought in place that if you touch the football in any way or stand it, it's just an automatic yellow card. I feel like when you take your shirt off and you celebrate, it's an automatic yellow card. It would just stop all the crap. Because I hate it when you just see these really kind of horribly experienced teams kick the ball away, knock it to the right, stop the ball coming back, stand it. You know, it's just like enough already. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with the player who, 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 who kicked the guy, not the guy who got kicked. The guy who got kicked shouldn't have been in the way. And Forrest sacked the manager. So uh, first casualty of the season, not, much of a surprise. Uh, it seems like the uh, Steve Cooper 
Is it the Swansea chap is going to go there? If I were them, I'd go as a Stephen Reid as the caretaker manager. He's changed the formation, obviously got them playing. They won. They went to a very good Huddersfield team uh, and beat them comfortably. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, I guess Steve Cooper is the big hot name that's on the ticket. But I know Stephen Reid and the work he's done and the coach, and he's very highly thought of and highly rated within the game. Hasn't he worked a lot? With the island setup, he has, yeah. But you know, I'd be kind of along those lines of let's let's give Stephen the team for a few games. Let's let's you know well, why are we rushing this process here. Um, so yeah, interesting. Um, but yeah, Forest are too good a team. You just don't see them, you know, long term. They've got a, a lot of young players, and again, you know, wins bring confidence for young players, and we've seen that with our players. We've got a lot of young players, so you know, the more wins you can get, the more confidence you can give them, the better they'll be. Yeah, going to League One, we've got uh, Wigan. 4-1 away Accrington, um, top of the table, getting early stages with Sunderland. Uh, Crew, I think, got their first win of the season. Seen that, yeah, seen that. MK Dons had a good win. Uh, I believe Ipswich won a really important game, because you, you're probably thinking, like, is their manager in trouble? Yeah. And he had a good 1-0 uh, away win, which you probably didn't see coming. Sheffield Wednesday struggled. Rotherham had a good win. Cambridge beating Portsmouth. Yeah, good good for the lo- our, our local rivals, Cambridge. So that, that was a big win. Portsmouth have plummeted now. I think have they gone down to 15th at the table? Uh, they are 15th, yes. Yeah, so I, I don't know what's going on there because last time I checked those tables, they were flying like four or five games ago or three, four games ago. Another win for Cheltenham as well. Good manager. Yeah, good manager. They're going to be very, very good side in that league. So yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. League two, any surprises? Let's see, what did we have in League 2? We have Forest Green continuing their uh, good spell of form, 4-0 away at Stevenage. You, you know they have a posh striker in their team? Um, it's Is it the Matt Stevens? I paid 150 grand for him as an 18-year-old. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's a complete poacher, complete goal scorer. Didn't quite get a chance with us through the various managers. We, we bought potential. Mm-hmm. Probably one of them where I wish, in hindsight... We'd had him on the 23s and he'd had a couple of years at that and went out on loan. Um, he's done very well and I'm delighted. He's a great kid. Um, it didn't quite come off from at our place. He was growing up. He had the growing pains and a few things off the field. You know, now he's obviously, I think, is he 22, 23? So he's obviously at maturing. Um, you know, we've got a nice sell on there. So hopefully if he, if he gets sold for big dough, we'll, we'll get all our money back. Um, but really happy for him. And Forest Green are doing really well. They're, they're setting the, the pace for sure. I mean, they, they've looked good so far. I don't think that uh, we'll see if it continues, but I mean, they were unlucky last year to miss out. They were. Um, and really for a couple of years, they've been there or thereabouts. Any surprises for you in League 2 so far as regards to teams not doing well or, or as well as they should do? I mean, I'm surprised that Bristol Rovers are still struggling. And it's, I mean, they lost again at home to Leighton Orient, Leighton Orient second, which surprises me that they're doing well. Um, I don't know how long Joey Barton can stick around for. That's, a, that, that's amazing. Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, amazing. Because I know the owner of Bristol Rovers. I mean, I would have thought he, he's ambitious to try and get out of that league. They're a big club. You know, it took so long to get back out of non-league and, and you know, to suddenly be struggling to that kind of, to that level. And they pay good wages. I mean, their wage bill, their, everything about it, that's just shocking. Shocking what's going on there. Leighton Orient, not a shocker for me. Kenny Jacket, quality manager. Yes. Um, you know, decent club, Leighton Orient. Had some bad times. They're on the rise again. A couple of good players. I've had my scouts down there. Tell the late Orient fans, calm down. Just send my scouts everywhere. Um, and that's it, really. And then, obviously, um, we well, we can talk about it after the break. You had Derby going into administration. Yeah. Well, let's let's go there now. And um, okay. I mean, I think it's it seems like it's on been on the cards for a, a little while, but still, when it happens, and now they're talking 
21 to 24 point deductions with everything that's going on? First off, I say to the players of Derby and the manager, fucking what result that was to beat Stoke, you know, and that shows that they're a good group. Uh, and I've been critical of Rooney before saying that, you know, he wasn't ready for that job. But, um, you know, the group, all the things that had going on, sometimes that brings you together. And that was a hell of a win on Saturday to to know that you're getting hit with that kind of deduction, to know that you're in administration. And then there's the uncertainty about are we getting paid. And then to go out and win and win that game, you know, massive credit to them. The one thing about them is the fans will stay with them. You know, they're a good group of players. We're, I think, we're one of the only teams to beat them, you know, this season. Um, they're a decent group of players. They've got some experience. They've got some youth. It's a good blend. Rooney's obviously finding his feet. Uh, look, I'm not going to sit and defend Mel Morris. I don't like anyone who puts a club into administration. That, you know, was always a thing where, like, you don't want to see that in football. But if you get to the stage where you have to put two million in or a million and a half in a month to a football club and you just don't have it, you're left with no choice but to put it in administration. I've no idea what's going on outside of football where nobody's bought that club yet. I mean, there must be. Uh, I don't know the numbers. I don't know the figures. I don't know the debts. But I just on the on the on the face of it, this is like I'm amazed. Miller manager hasn't popped up out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. He's made a fortune out of doing it with Portsmouth, which after Wednesday with Leicester, where he's bought a club on its arse, he's got them going again, and then he's flipped them. He's like the master flipper. So I'm, I'm, you know, the numbers must be too big. I don't know. I don't know what the situation is. I mean, either some gremlins, or you know, he hasn't been. Desperate enough to I'm, sell at that point or whatever. It, it, I guess people are waiting for the final shoe to drop from all the EFL deductions and charges and issues. So before you want to buy, you want to know there's no more coming. Because if I go in and say buy Derby tomorrow and, okay, you're getting a 20 point and suddenly down the line you get another 20 point deduction. You know, sometimes you're like, I've got a little bit of breath here and I can open the airwaves and start breathing again. And someone comes along and throttles you and and and, and suddenly you're out of breath. So I, I, I guess people are waiting. You want to, if you're a prospective buyer, you'd be saying to the EFL, can you give us the worst case scenario of what's going to happen? Um, the good thing about administration is it will bring in some investors and people who will now see Derby as, you know, potentially they can pick the bones of it, which means you'll get an owner. You'll get a buyer. Whereas maybe before they might have had to pay, I don't know, 50 million, 60 million, 70 million. Who knows? I don't even know about how the stadium is broken down, who owns that. You know, um, I don't know who they owe. I know it was the Dell, Michael Dell money. The, there was some Dell money went in there. So I'd hate to be them because when you go into administration, you're not getting 100% of your dough back. And, but again, I don't know how the Dell deal was structured. So the whole situation has been a nightmare. I saw Mal Morris' interview about COVID. And he, he's not wrong about the effects of COVID on values of play. I mean, I think an ex-player of theirs took the piss on Twitter. You know, what Mal Morris had said, it was George Thorne who we used to have. I think he turned around and said, oh, let's blame everything on COVID. And I thought that was a fucking cheap shot. You know, footballers usually take millions out of the game. Very few put millions in. So you might want to park your fucking opinion there for a second, pal. Um, <laughs> you know, that's how I feel. You know, when you got a player like having a fucking dig. Um, yeah, it's one-way traffic usually with players, you know. So someone who's actually put money in, I, I, I can give an opinion. Yeah, see, see if he's at the front of the line for putting some money into uh, under administration. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, cheap shots on Twitter ain't helping anyone. So shut the fuck up. But um, and that's not me defending Mel Morris. That's just the whole situation. It's just so easy to pick holes. Um, it's going to be a rocky twelve months, but I think Derby will rise and rise really well, and they'll get a good owner and they get someone in there to see an opportunity to restore a historically massive club, you know, to its former glory. And we've seen them come down, go down, and bounce back. And who knows? I mean, Rooney could pull off a miracle and keep them in that league. So you just you just don't know. But the one thing I do know is that you know it's a hell of a football club. 
Uh, and and again, I'm just amazed it's 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 got to this stage. Yeah, and for fans, I mean, it's easy. I've been through this twice with City. You know, it's it's really easy to assume the worst when because there's a lot of unknown when something like this happens, especially when you know you have a club like Bury who ultimately were left to fail. Um, you know, being big on its own doesn't guarantee that you get out of it. As we were very very close to the wall um, the second time that we went through administration, but on the other hand, as a fan base, you've got the foundation which is going to be attractive to anybody. So somebody's not going to come in and think, "Oh crap, how I'm going to sell tickets at this point." Even if you're in League Two, you've still got the fans aren't going away. Derby are getting twenty five, thirty thousand, you know, and, and even if they're in League One and they're like in the top four of League One, they're going to be getting massive crowds. I mean, massive crowds. I mean, you know, go check the attendances of Portsmouth when they're doing well in League One. You know, go check the attendances of Bradford if you're suddenly top of League Two by ten points. You know, you, you haven't got any space left to sell. So, uh, you know, the one thing you've got with clubs historically like that with massive fan bases, yes, the fans get pissed off and leave you for a while and the, and the attendances dwindle. But when there's some new enthusiasm, when there's some new blood and there's new hope, they all rush back and come back. And that's what they do. And guaranteed, whoever comes in, as long as it's a transparent, honest person, they'll get a fair shake off the Derby fans. And, 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 and actually, they're going to find a club when you get rid of all the crap, the administration will help you do that get rid of debts and reduce this and reduce that. It'll be a football club in good shape when it's all said and done. How do you think Derby are going to, or what are some of the sources of finance available for them to fund themselves right now as they're going through administration? Because often you get a, um, you know, you need to get bridge loans or, you know, with Wigan, at least they had assets from the training grounds and the stadium and the squad where they could monetize it. But right now it's kind of hard to see where some cash could come to fund the day-to-day. Yeah, the stadium, is the stadium owned by the owner? Didn't he sell it? Wasn't that the whole thing he sold? The club sold the stadium to raise money for their books? I believe that he owns it, but maybe as a separate company, but I don't know that. Yeah, so there's not that angle. You've got good academy players. You've got some young players. The market's not great. Mel Morris is right about that. There's a bit of a recession in the transfer market at the moment. Um, you've got another three months before you can sell any players. Um, you can factor your your solidarity money that's due in January, unless they've already done that. Um, season ticket money, you can factor. Um, it's going to be tough for the administrator. And I don't know, you know, when you borrowed money off Dell or the fund that, that they owe money to, was that against your football money, your league money? So if that's already spoken for, you know, there's things you can't do. And I guess the PFA can help out and lend money to pay wages. And then that's usually guaranteed against, you know, football uh, TV money. Um, but look, it, there's going to be pain. There's going to be people lose their jobs. Um, it'd be interesting. The players are going to, you know, they're, they're going to struggle to get paid as well. I mean, you saw it with Bolton, you saw it with Wigan. Um, you know, it's going to be a tough six, seven, eight months. That's just the way it happens with administration. Yeah, in the end of the day, the players are all secured creditors, so they should, in theory, get, they get, their, their, they'll get their money to be able to come out of administration, but maybe not from a cash flow. Whoever buys the club, is for, the first people are going to be getting paid are players and clubs who earn money for transfers. That's just the way it works in our game. So players will definitely get weighed in. Yeah, I know when we went into admin the first time, it was back when we had players like Benito Carboni earning... 40 grand a week, you know, which for us in 2000, 2001 was a lot of money. And we only survived because he gave up a ton of his money uh, that was owed to him um, because, you know, we didn't have the cash coming out of admin to cover all the footballing debts. So that's always one of the challenges. We had some other things, but what I'm going to do is I'll hold off on a couple of those until next week and we'll go to break and then we'll come back after the break with some questions. 
Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to the pod. Let's go into some uh, listener questions that we received this week. Uh, first of all, from Andrew. Andrew's a Bolton fan. Andrew says, with cameras at every game, why is there no VAR in the EFL? And would you like to see it implemented? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely think they should start with the champ. We've got goal line technology in the champ we can pay for. I think what you could do is roll it out in the champ for a year or two and then roll it down the rest of the leagues. It is expensive. Um, you know, when we had the, uh, I forget the game, Burnley in the FA Cup, I saw the charges and it wasn't cheap that we had to pay for like all the, the refs, the, the video assistants, whatever they were. So you pay for that then as the home court? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember you'll find a tweet from me moaning about it a few years ago. You know, the course it came off our, our receipts from the cup game um, when we lost to Burnley. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a cost to it. But these things should actually get cheaper. Uh, technology should. Um, but I, I'm for it. I've always been a proponent and a fan of uh, VAR. I like it. Um, I have a question from Jevan on email. He's, a, he's got questions on Shamrock Rovers. Uh, what stops Shamrock regularly competing in the Europa League? Context, in recent years, we've seen FC Sheriff from Moldova, Ludogrets from Bulgaria get to the Champions League group stages, and they're from smaller footballing nations than Ireland. Well, I, you know, I don't know enough to answer the question in detail, but I would guess it would be recruitment. I would guess it would be mentality. I guess it would be luck. I guess it would be, you know, are you resilient enough? Um, I know Dundalk have done quite well in Europe, you know, with the current Irish manager was there, you know, and they did well in the UEFA Cup, I believe it was, and brought a lot of money in. Um, I'm a Shamrock Rovers fan since I was a kid. Um, you know, great club. I've always said if it ever became available to buy, I'd be all over that like a rush. Um, and the difference in money is incredible. If you get into those group stages, you're talking millions. And the difference it could make to a club like Shamrock Rovers. So don't lose hope. Um, they're still doing well. They still have a chance every year. And if Celtic and Rangers keep blowing it every year, getting into those group stages, trust me, they've got bigger problems than you. <laughs> um, I got a question from Simon, who's a posh fan. Um, and it's actually relating to Darren Ferguson. Uh, for listeners may not be aware that Darren Ferguson officially managed posh for the most matches um, over the weekend, beating Baz's record. Uh, with 492, I think it was. This is true. The question is, uh, so Simon was at the game versus Sheffield United. I um, wanted to know, how do you pick the manager up after a game like that? It's two different angles I take with that. Sometimes I'll have a row with him on purpose because I need to get his blood going mm-hmm. uh, and flowing. And and sometimes things need to be said. And it, like I said just before there when we were talking about dressing room incidents, your words unspoken can be the worst words. And sometimes you need to get everything out in the open. Well, I'm not happy about this. And maybe you're not happy about this. So I'll, I'll take two different approaches. The other approach sometimes I'll take is I'll let him vent. Um, and then, of course, I, I, every time I end a call, it has to be on a positive. I can't just, like, have a row or a rub. So, like, the other night was, you know, I, I could sense in his voice the, the frustration and the hurt because we had a chance to be ready. And it just all went wrong. And you're just feeling sorry for yourself. And... You know, I could feel it, you know, as he was talking to me on the phone and I talked for 10, 12 minutes about it. And then just reminding him about all the good things, you know, all the good things, the good things that have happened over the last two years, the good things to get us here, you know, the good things about what we have every day to go to work and do. Um, you know, I said to him, I said, I remember um, losing to Portsmouth away last year and we changed formation. It was a disastrous day. And I'm like, at that point in time, if I'd said to you after that day in Portsmouth, I can guarantee we're going to win promotion. I can guarantee this time in eight months' time, you're going to go and get battered by Sheffield United in the Championship 6-2. Do you want that to happen, yes or no? 
you'd have gone, oh, fucking take that all day long after what happened at Portsmouth. So I said, it's not always as bad as you think. And it's not always as good as it could be. Um, so there has to be something in the middle. And I just remind him how good he is and remind him that he is that dif- difference, you know, and, and it's why we have him as our manager. And we all love him. And that's just not me. That's my partners as well. And he'll find a way. And that's what I think my final words to him were. Look, next couple of days at work, you'll find a way. I didn't realize he'd lose two players to long-term injuries. But, you know, the, the message to him wasn't Tuesday night. You'll find a way. Don't worry. You know, this this will pass. You'll find a way. And again, I think I'd said, I said to him about 10 times in that phone call, we're a really good fucking home team. And we got three of the next four at home. So I said, you'll find a way. And the most important thing is, is to make sure the players believe, have belief and that the players stick to the plan and trust the process and, and, and work harder and do all those things we talk about. So, yeah, I mean, we haven't had a row this season. We had a couple last season. That's normal. But, you know, I kind of played the role of, of course, I'll, you know, leave a shitty text after a bad result or an audio message now. And then he'll ring me later and then we'll have a great chat about it. But I actually said to him on Friday, no matter what happens against Birmingham, you won't be getting a message from me after the game. I said, so, you, you, you know, sometimes i got to watch myself. i got to pull back from being so like, you know, and I forget sometimes, you know what I mean? It's like these people have feelings as well. And they've just managed the game and they've been involved in the game. And here you got the big, bad fucking El President thing. For fuck's sake, that was a horrible performance. Blah, 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 blah. What the hell did you so do this just, for? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, we've worked together for 15 years. He knows me. I know him. More than anything else, the message I left him after the game on Saturday was, love you to bits. Really proud of you. You know, that performance was all about you, you know, that the players gave today. And I said, that that's, you know, that you deserve that, you know, for the work you've been putting in. And I hope you and your staff enjoy it. And then obviously we spoke later on and, you know, he rings you and isn't in the car on the way home. And I just said, look, go and have a bottle of wine with Nick, your wife, and enjoy the weekend because, you know, you have to enjoy the, the, the wins. Uh, uh, you know, because we, we beat ourselves up at the losses. So you have to be able to embrace a win. Of course, you don't get carried away, but you definitely have to embrace the moment. Do most managers have somebody like somebody within the club that they can turn to? Or is it pretty a lonely spot for for a lot of managers and other teams? Oh, well, at our place, they got Baz. And, you know, Baz is good like that. He, he rarely goes in the manager's office after a win. He'll only go in if there's a loss. And that's just to help. You know what I mean? So he's consistent, you know, and that's his job and he plays it well. And he's a good sounding board. And like I said to Baz on Wednesday, they had a day off after the Reading game. I said, Baz, do me a favor. Get in there on Thursday and Friday. Get your cigar around and be bouncing around the training ground because the atmosphere would be pretty flat, I'd imagine. So I'm like, Baz, get in there and fucking do your thing. Oh, fucking property chairman. So I know he'd be bouncing around, going up to the players and go, what's the fucking matter with you? You know what I mean? And all that kind of thing. And, you know, sometimes the place needs that little bit of lift, little spark, a little bit of personality. Um, but I, I think a lot of managers, if they don't have that direct line of communication to the owner, and if they're reporting to a CEO or a technical director, and that technical director is feeling the pressure from the owner, then it becomes a very, very lonely place. It's different in our place. It's like reporting to your boss at work where you don't want to tell them everything because you're afraid they're going to use it against you. Right. My manager's got bass, but he also has direct access to me. He speaks to Jason. He speaks to Randy. He has that support. So there's all those things. Do you know what I mean? So, so we, we have a pretty good team, you know, and even my partners are very good like that, you know, we're dropping them a message, you know, Randy was over for the week. So I think he had like a couple of hours with a gaff as well, you know, um, during the week. And so all those things help. And that's part and parcel of being a football club. And, you know, I, shit I get in social media, 
you know, and we lose and everyone giving it the big one and uh, Wickham fans popping up in my timeline again and, you know, all of this shit. And it's just like, it, it just makes me fucking laugh. It just makes me chuckle. It just does because I'd never do that. You know, I'm not a troll, you know, I'm just like, my God, outside your life is like your wife must be getting their back doors being smashed off someone else while you're on a fucking computer trolling a 45-year-old football person. So, you know, I, I can only imagine. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's football. Well, last question that we have, um, we actually have a couple. One of them was directed to me, and I'm going to come to that last. So question that we got from Scott says, he loves the pod, uh, is curious what Dara thinks about the USL. Um, so that's the United, this is like League One or the championship, basically, in the States, the, the level below the MLS. Uh, what Dara thinks about USL and how it stacks up talent-wise to the uh, Scottish Premiership and League One in the UK. We've seen a lot of players make the jump to MLS and was curious to see if any clubs in the premiership or I guess the championship really would think if there's a talent pool waiting to be discovered uh, lower down the leagues in the States. That's a brilliant question. I'm not a great fan of the USL. I don't think the standard's magnificent. There's a few good players in there. Um, I've always said from day one about the MLS and the whole situation in America, it's fucking badly done. I think their whole system shit. I think the reason the MLS will never become anything more than it is currently is because they won't embrace the pyramid. Mm-hmm. Um, if they paid me for 10 days to work on stuff, I'd sort out their whole, all their issues. And uh, it'd be one of the most watched leagues in the world. And what I've always said is they have to embrace British fans. And one of the ideas I had for that was open up a door between League One and League Two in the USL and get more British players in the USL from those leagues. Players who are on two grand a week who earning that in the USL would live like kings out in America. And I said, you would have lots of British fans who would then watch it to see their favorite players. You take one of Bradford's favorite players and you bring him out to the USL and he's playing for know, Fort Lauderdale or he's playing for whoever. Naturally enough, Bradford fans, if it's a USL game on TV, would watch it just to see. And the more British eyes on your game out there, the better. Open up the pyramid, make it as romantic as our pyramid. Because right now they're eating themselves inside out. You can have a USL club. I could buy one tomorrow. I would have to pay a $14 million licensing fee to lose money every year in a league I can never get promoted from. I could win the league every year, and that's as far as I could go. And unless I go out and, and by chance and by luck, get a $150 million license to join the, the, the big MLS. You're not getting an MLS just because you were the best team in the USL? No, no. But if you open up that to the audience, you open the excitement up of relegation, of promotions, of playoffs. I mean, you could basically be a shit team like into Miami, Beckham's team, start the season crap like they have, and then suddenly have got a good run recently where they still make the playoffs. You know, I hate the rewarding of failure sometimes. And I just feel the potential in, the, in America, with football, as we like to call it, they would call it soccer, is massive. That could, be, that could break into the top four. In the top four at the moment is like your NFL, your basketball, your baseball. I've missed a sport in there somewhere. You know, even hockey probably gets more fucking viewers, ice hockey, than, than, than soccer. So it frustrates me because I've tried to, to ram this home and look at buy a USL club and whatever. It's just no value in it. No value in it whatsoever. And obviously, I almost bought Orlando City and got shafted on that. And, you know, they ended up in the MLS. Yeah, well, there's too many, um, too many, too much interest, uh, conflict, not conflicting interest, but so many people who've put all this money, the 150 million into an MLS club, they've done it because they know it's a closed shop. Correct. It's like the situation you can't get out of now because everyone has been uh, made these investments based on the fact that 
they're not going to drop down to the USL or whatever the next ring in the pyramid is. But all these owners in the MLS who've now got their 600 million valuation and their 800 million dollar valuation, what they don't realize is is it's a false valuation because I haven't seen any club really be bought and sold in the MLS for a while, bar one or two. Um, secondary, because their product's not as washed as it should be, and quite frankly, it's stale, uh, stale as piss, is that if they turn around and created a pyramid and created excitement and got better TV deals and international TV deals, the values of the clubs would actually go from two and 300 million over the billion mark. So it would bring excitement. The MLS isn't the NFL. That audience has been built in for like 90 years. You know, the MLS has always struggled up and down, whether it was a different type of soccer when Pele was playing out there and George Best, the, the, the current iteration of it. So they have to go pyramid. If they want to make it work, go pyramid. If they want to protect their clubs and their MLS license, great. You'll stagnate and you'll be stale. Yeah. And, and they put so much work into the stadiums and the you know building the supporter base and all that you know you go to the games and i've been to a few orlando city games recently really impressed with the the product in every single way except for the football and then you watch the football and you think well i don't know what all the fuss is about you know orlando city second in the conference and you know it's like watching city on a bad day yeah and and they could be sixth in their conference and still make the playoffs right Right, it, it, the whole conference thing. That yeah, for me, it's a waste of time. They haven't even got. They've got, have got an MLS Cup. Do they allow the USL clubs playing the MLS Cup? Um, I think they do. Because I know they have a lot of B teams in those leagues as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, so they have a lot of that going on. So, um, yeah, there are say a lot of people in England feel the same. Yeah, you know, I I'd, I'd want to get more involved in it, but it's a struggle with the prices of what they are to get in and the quality of offer. So correct. Correct, 100%. So last question we had was from Steve on Twitter. He says, question for Phil. If you became Bradford owner, what would your blueprint be for the next five years? Is there anything you'd introduce that they aren't doing at the moment? So ordinarily, I'd say, <laughs> let me sit down and think about that because um, there's nothing that I would do, like to do more than put together a five-year blueprint for City. <laughs> but given the fact I've been running around like headless chicken traveling, uh, there's been no prep uh, into this answer. But you know, I would say that um, what Ryan is doing at Bradford is doing a really good job of trying to bring the soul of the club back. And what that means is investing in things outside of the football, trying to tidy up the stadium, really focus on commercial deals. You know, the club has to sustain itself and be in a position where it's not just reliant on an owner. Uh, increasing prices. We've done some really interesting things around um, subscriptions for tickets through subscriptions because it allows you to put your prices up without people really noticing, uh, frankly which, you know, we need to do because we've had the schemes for a lot of years of having really cheap prices, really cheap tickets. If I was owner, I would love to find a way to accelerate all that stuff because there's only so much you can do when you've got a relatively low income that they have at the moment and when the club has to sustain itself without any money that's coming in from the outside. You know, we've talked about the need to invest, like you talked about, one player, two players can make all the difference. You get City City back in League One doing well and you get 20 plus thousand people there paying a lot of money. The potential in that club is just enormous. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't sound right and some Bradford fans won't like what I'm about to say. But that's the type of club, not only could you smash through League Two and League One, but when you finally put them in the champ, as a top 12 champ club, that would produce at least two million a year in income for the owner. Yeah. Now, because sometimes fans always go, well, the owner shouldn't earn any money and the owner shouldn't have money out of the club, blah, 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 blah. But sometimes, you know, you live in a real world here in a finance world and someone's running it as a business, yeah, they're going to want to earn money. 
Um, but as long as they're putting you in the top half of the championship, which is basically the second Premier League, with a chance every now and then a promotion, would you give a shit if they're running a couple of million a year? No, you wouldn't. So that as an investment is like money in the bank all day long. Anyone who goes in, buys that club, turns it around, A, you will have an appreciating asset. B, you will earn good income every year off the club without draining it. You know what I mean? You know, I'm talking about you would earn in the championship, not in League One, League Two. But, you know, that is just a dream project. You know, I think having a, a philosophy around transfers, I mean, obviously, I listen to a lot of the things that you've done and are doing. Um, and I think we're crying out for something along those lines. They do. You're right. You know, everyone wants to do the same. I hear it all the time. Years ago, Barry met the previous bronze owner, God rest his soul, he passed away. And the first thing he said at Baz was, you know, we, we hired. Uh, new scouts to specifically go and track down repeater scouts where games and stuff and they started getting into the model and then obviously they've had new owners since and the money ball thing and they do their thing very well and, and they're very well run football club but everyone wants to do what you do right and you know and, and whether it's Bradford whether it's another club they'll always say well Peter was modeling Peter would do it pretty well it was never as easy as that well you you're taking the risks to pay big fees up front that others wouldn't take and that's one of the big differences i think between what i mean who else is going to be going and there aren't because plenty of other teams could have done and gone and paid a million plus or whatever the number was for randall from exeter or going and paying the money it took you to bring jack taylor out of barnet in the national league million quid <laughs> people aren't going there and doing that because they don't want to they see it as being a risk probably because they're not confident in the data that backs up the decision. And, and sometimes that's where you have to have like a gambler involved. And, you know, I, I do like a, a, a flutter occasionally, you know, so it ties in nicely with the model and with the transfer and the recruitment and everything else. So that's a conversation for another day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the whole recruitment side of the game. But yeah, I mean, I, you'd be having a wank right now if you got to, if you got paid to do a five-year plan for Bradford, wouldn't you? All the years of what we should do would all be uh, coming out there. But no, I, I want to say that I think that the club are doing a lot of good at the moment. Brilliant. Fair play to Ryan. Fair play to Ryan. Look, the reality is I don't know the owner. I don't know him personally. Um, he pays his bills, so he's obviously a good owner. I know he's pissed off fans, but he pays his bills. When you see what's happening with Derby, that's a good thing in football. I don't know how much longer he wants to hang around League 2. I guess he's waiting for the right offer. Do you know what I mean? Or whether his passion's there or not, but he has got a very good CEO. So, and that fucking helps. So, as long as he's got him, he's in good shape. If you got rid of him or bombed him out or they had a bad run, I think then the fans would turn on him again. You know, I think there's a, a mythology about how present an owner should be as well. You know, if things are going well, nobody cares. Like you said, nobody cares if, if an owner's taking money out of the club if things are going well. Because, you know, I've always been a big proponent as well of, you know, you put the money in. You deserve to take it out and you see other folks, well, they charge, you know, a market rate of interest on a loan that they put into the club. Well, they should have given that money. Well, would you give your money to, you know, in a high risk situation? So I got no problem with that. You know, owners not being around and being absent only becomes a problem when you're not doing so well. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's where the dissent starts. That's where all the, the negativity starts up. So- Look, a good owner does their best and for the right reasons. And uh, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I mean, I always try my best. I won't always get it right. But after being in it for a long time, with experience, you kind of feel you're doing the right things. But it's as good as it gets. Unless you read your Twitter mentions after a defeat, then... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I, 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 to be fair, I don't. I, you know, I'll use yet on a Monday. I laugh at those. So, uh, you, you know, they do give me a bit of a chuckle. All right, well, let's call that a wrap for this week. Um, thank you again, as always, for your time, Dara. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Keep those questions coming. Hardtruthfootball.com slash contact. Take care, everyone. Thanks, everyone.